Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Now, before we get started, I just want to wish everybody who is listening to this on the day it comes out a Merry Christmas. If you don't like your family, you're listening to this instead of being with your family, I'm glad I could help you on that score. I know how that feels. It can be excruciating family sometimes, but sometimes it can. you just need a break. You want to listen to something, or maybe you're listening to to this at the end of the day. Um, usually I try and have a Christmas-themed episode on Christmas, but it just didn't work out that way this year. But what I want to talk about is probably something pretty pretty Christmas-esque, considering I'm from America, the land of capitalism and sadness. Um, and it is a thing that was, is really brought about by the kind of end times, and end of capitalist end times that we exist in. And that is a little something that I'm going to call the franchise deal. Now, a little while ago, um, back when, back when, around when when Black Panther Wakanda Forever came out, I was also watching for that for that podcast episode, the um, entirety of Psychopath, and I kind of crammed that into my skull pretty hard. But Psychopath, the combination of watching Psychopath while I also went to see Black Pants Wakanda Forever made me start to think about what it means to turn to take something from a singular thing and turn it into a franchise. And the different things that happen because of that. So, I'm going to talk about a couple franchises probably, but the one I really want, for the one I want to start with, is actually the Men in Black movie. Movies. Movies. Because when Men in Black was first released, it was not necessarily clearly planned to be a multiple movie deal. And indeed, it was that kind of the beginning of everything has to be a new franchise. Everything has to be a new IP that can branch out. And by the end of that, you have Men in Black 3, which by the time you get to Men in Black 3, you're starting to like loop back around into what Men in Black used to be about. Because if you look at Men in Black 2, Men in Black 2 is very different thing. It was very aware of how much money they could spend on this thing, and it felt very different from what Men in Black 3 felt. Men in Black 3 felt more like the original the original Men in Black film, but not as not as not as good, but it felt much better than 2, that's for sure. And I had the same kind of feeling with, um, with both Psychopaths and with, what's it called, with, um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. In that, once you, when you're making a singular product, when you're making a product 
that is like an expression of creativity and a, a telling of a story that you've come up with. Unless you planned for it to be a crazy long thing, it doesn't really feel that, like it doesn't always feel right when you expand it and you have to be really careful with how you expand things because if you do it wrong, you hit the wrong notes and it feels off and it detracts from what you di from what you've done. And a lot of the way major shonen action storylines have adapted to being more seasonal instead of ever long running nightmare things, like say, like if you look at the original Naruto, the original Naruto has technically seasons, but there's no breaks. They don't take in Naruto, they never took breaks. And if you look at Boruto, I don't really think Boruto take breaks either. It's kind of the last of the shonen things in its ilk. And also, notably, Bleach didn't take breaks. And Bleach ran out of material so hard that it almost, that basically cannibalized itself by the end of its original run. And if you look at something like the Thousand Year Blood, Blood War arc, it's pretty well received because they're telling a, like, really encapsulated story that is not, well, like, they don't need to go on a filler arc for, like, 40 episodes or 40, or the equivalent of 40 weeks and then give you a drop of story. They can just give it to you straight. Straight from the fucking needle, baby. And that's the danger of franchising out when before a story is ready for it, or before something is planned, or, or when something wasn't planned to be like that. So, when you look at something like, say, when you look at Black Panther is actually a perfect example, that movie was a phenomenon. And the original Black Panther is still a phenomenon. It is a watermark for black moviegoers and black cinema and black action cinema in a way that they kind of oops their way into it. And then once they had it, they didn't quite know what to do with it, it felt like, when you were watching the new Black Panther, the Wakanda Forever. It felt like they knew that this was a big deal, but they didn't... They left things that made the first movie so imaginative and so inspiring kind of die on the vine while they focused on other more spectacle-like things. And is there value in that? Absolutely. There is value in applying the form of the Marvel movie franchise deal to a, with an all-black cast and with an all- in this one, black and um, South American cast, basically. And an in, in indigenous cast. But, the, and, the, and indeed the strongest part of the movie was all the things having to do with Namor, who was the villain in that movie. And when he was on screen, he, like, it, when he was on screen, the movie was worth its weight. But when he wasn't, it was struggling under its own weight. And that should probably tell you something. 
and and how you're handling a franchise that's very at this point is very valuable because you've realized people will go out of their way to see this fucking movie. Whole fam when in my screen there were whole African American families who like got all the kids in the car, like dad was like, I I am letting the purse strings loose. Let's go to the fucking movies because this is a movie that's made for us. That and it is explicitly made for us because the first movie was made for us and we came out for it in a vengeance. And then the Marvel machine, the Marvel and Disney machine kicked in and turned it into a franchise. And now, like, I bought Wakanda Forever mac and cheese packets at the grocery store. It's not... When you, when you don't handle a franchise scenario with care and with finesse, that's what you get. You get these moments that feel off, that feel awkward, and like and like they are beneath they are beneath what this thing stands for. So, what I mean by that is you you're telling me that Wakanda for that that black the original Black Panther was a watershed moment in black in. African American filmmaking and African American film going, and the the ultimate endpoint at some point is not the toy pack. The toy pack was always going to happen, but is mac and cheese in a grocery store aisle that feels that feels sad. And here's what I want to talk about: anime. Anime has a long history of of making shows that are explicitly IPs and making shows that are meant to be franchise and franchises that are meant to do something other than just sell you a show. If you look at Gundam, Gundam is meant to sell you a plastic model that you will build. It, there's no other way to cut it. If you look at other franchises in anime, it's like, say, Dot Hack. Dot Hack had any way you wanted into that world, you could have. There were multiple anime, there have been multiple games, you know, the, I think there was a card game, because there was always a card game in that time period, and you could get into that, and there was plenty of other stuff to spend your money on. To, there was plenty more of the franchise for you to engage with. And while there is a disappointing moment to things like when a franchise makes an makes a dead branch that is phenomenal but is also a dead branch like um, Cyberpunk Edge Runners is a perfect example of this. There's also something really admirable about that because when you remove yourself from the idea that like I'm if we want two seasons we can have two seasons in terms of making an anime for Netflix. When you remove yourself from that, you get Something that is, you get the opportunity to make something that is full and complete and vibrant in a way that you don't think about making the same thing when you know you have more coming. So, uh, the best example of this is if you look at Cyberpunk Edge Runner and how incredible that show is, 
then you look at another very niche, very, but also in way very broad appeal property that came over to Netflix in Pacific Rim. And uh, some of you are probably like, what the fuck is he talking about? And others of you are like, oh, motherfucker, he's about to talk, talk about Pacific Rim Black, a show that I've actually talked about before. I get it, its own episode on this podcast. You can go check that out um, in the feed, in whatever app you use to listen to me right now. But Pacific Rim Black, or I think it's The Black, is a dumpster fire. It's a mess. It is a total mess. And the reason it's a total mess is because it was made knowing that there's stuff before it that you can reference and you can understand all the like little cool things about piloting Jaegers and about the world. And there, and there will be something after it in the form of a second season. So it in no way tells a full story. Because it doesn't have to. Because it's a, because it's a building block in a franchise. And the best... The best pieces of a franchise do not rely on the rest of it. They do what they're going to do in their own way, and then they move on. Lots of people have lots of problems with um, the Mar- with the way Marvel is now doing things after after Endgame because no a nobody quite knows where it's leading, and the movies are getting jokier and jokier, and they're getting like more tongue-in-cheek but one of the ways that Thor has saved itself by is by making the decision of okay we're not going to like yes we're going to make an action movie but it's going to go full tongue-in-cheek it's going to go it's going to commit to the bit all the way and it's going to be its own thing so and this is most likely a result of the fact that when they tried to do the big serious thing, I think it was Sword Dark World was the one before Ragnarok, before Sword Ragnarok. It didn't really work out for them. Like, people did not like that movie. So then they went and they made Sword Ragnarok. And Sword Ragnarok is a fun fucking time. And yes, it has tie-ins to other parts of the DC, of, of not DC, of the, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But you don't need to know that shit. You just need to know Hulk is here because they wanted to make jokes. Like Thor is here because they wanted to make jokes. And we're going to have a good time. And we're going to tell you a worthwhile story. But we're going to do it in our own way. And so when you get to something like Thor Love and Thunder. You're not surprised. They've successfully turned that franchise around and turned it into something else. And love it or hate it. You got to admire that they're like committing to the bit. And they're like, they're mining source material and using it in ways that they can commit to this bit entirely. Whereas, now, then you look at something like Psychopath. Which was actually my genesis for this thought process. And the first season of Psychopath is pretty okay. The second season of Psychopath is... Different, but still interesting. The third season is where you start to lose people. And one of the ways franchises keep themselves fresh 
is they may have the same core story elements, but they'll jump back and forth between mediums or they'll, you know, tell or they'll use those core story elements in a totally different way to tell a totally different story about a totally different set of characters. A um a great a great example of this is Altered Carbon. The the original Altered Carbon Netflix show is really interesting. It tells a story and then it's kind of done. And then they gave it a CGI anime movie that's about a different that's about a totally different thing in the same universe involving that same core of, like, save your consciousness on a little disc and, like, transfer it from body to body kind of concept. And they show you how that could be abused in a different way. They are, they moved, they used that transfer from the medium of live action to the medium of CGI anime, of anime CGI to... Explore what if. And I haven't watched it yet, but the Bright movie, the, the movie Bright on Netflix, the Will Smith, like, supernatural cop thing, is an interesting concept, not particularly well realized all the time, but they did a similar thing. They made a CGI, they made a, I believe it's a CGI anime movie. As the, like, continuation of that franchise, of that world. The most recent thing that's doing this, that is, like, hanging on by a thread, is the Shrek franchise. And if you've, you're like, what do you mean the Shrek franchise? The Shrek franchise is dead, isn't it? I'm like, and I'd say, no, it is not. They still got a movie coming out. It's called Puss in Boots. They tr- they focused on a different character in that franchise, in that universe, because Shrek petered out. And they're just counting on that people like the fun, sexy, like, rapier-wielding cat character enough to keep watching it. And here's the thing with franchises is they can't go on forever at least in the in the form they are so probably the the stealthiest worst thing they did with Wakanda forever is they gave you the next piece of the puzzle for Iron Man so spoiler alert for Wakanda forever if you haven't seen it you should be able to either buy it or rent it soon enough, so don't worry about that. But after Tony Stark dies in the comics, or after after Tony Stark dies in the comics, which I don't think happens in the same way it happens in the film, but I'm not entirely sure, but I know that he does die in the comics as well. There's a new Iron Man, and that new Iron Man is a... Black, is a teenage black girl named Riri Williams. They introduce her in Wakanda Forever because she's a black character and she can be part of the like black superhero party of Wakanda, of Wakanda Forever, and I get that. They make it very clear, like, she's the new Iron Man. She is Ironheart, and it rules. 
And then they lock that behind the door of she has to be doing that with Wakanda. They take the suit away in a way that they would never do for Iron Man proper. So they cut themselves off basically in a lot of ways from making an Ironheart movie. When they could have. They could have just been like, oh, she had the suit now. She's Ironheart. That's, that's, Dems the breaks. That's the deal. And I can't really see a good reason for it. Like, you, 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 you gave us the, you gave us the way to the next installment of the Iron Man IP of the Iron Man franchise. You, you're setting up, and this, and, Wakanda Forever is is very clearly setting up the next generation of the Avengers and of the MCU and all that fun junk. But it stops short. And the the problem with the problem with the serialized superhero genre is nobody lives forever so there always has to be another one. And you can see this in things like Batman ultimately progresses to Batman Beyond. And it also has, like, Batman in the DCU-EU had the Bat family and there's other characters that go off and do other things. Like Nightwing, like the te- like Robin, like a Rob- like one of the Rob- one of the many Robins in the Teen Titans. The Teen Titans as a thing. And... But like I keep saying, you have to ha- hand- handle that with a deft hand, or else what you get is. I'm sorry, you can't. I'm sorry, Riri, but you, we can't let you take the suit. And you cut that. You cut that possibility of that of that being of part of the deal in the future in half. In the viewer's mind, maybe not in your mind. Maybe you have a plan for how that's going to go. And how Riri Williams will... You'll see her again. But the viewer doesn't know that. I just... I. And then I think about things like... Stories that are told to an end point. So you have stories like currently writing Chainsaw Man. By the end of the first real arc of Chainsaw Man in the manga. That thing had ended. Like, he had told a full story. And you have... But now he has a huge fan base. And Hor- I think the art name is Horikoshi for Chainsaw Man. Basically put out a statement and said, like, I, I get that everybody really loves this. And I love that people love this. But I gotta take a break, y'all. I gotta go sleep. <laughs> I gotta go, like... Be with the world. I gotta go be a human and not like a manga machine. And I'll be back and we'll start part two. And he did. But when he was writing it, like by the end of that story, it doesn't necessarily feel like he always had a part two planned. So probably, and probably stealthily the actual way I started thinking about this was I have watched and read Black Lagoon for a long time now. So, but Black Lagoon 
the but if you read the ex, the extra like interviews with the author of Black Lagoon, he told the story he wants to tell with that, and he's like you can feel in the like new short arc that he's been doing that he's looking for another angle that he wants to tell in this in this universe that he's built up because he's, almost because it seems like he doesn't want to waste it. And since he's stopped, since he's told the Roberta's blood, the Roberta's blood trail arc, since that arc, the the arcs have gotten much shorter. They've gotten much less frequent, and the space between them has taken has been a lot farther, because he's like he's he is now a best-selling manga author because partially because of that, because of that franchise. But he doesn't know what he wants to do with it, and he's taking his time figuring it out. One of the reasons why it took so long for um, Kaiju Number Eight to get an a- adaptation is because the manga author for Kaiju Number Eight, like he started drawing that thing, and he immediately at the end of the first chapter, he basically stuck up his middle finger, he's like "Fuck you guys, I'm not killing myself for for my art." That's my right as an artist. You get a new chapter every two weeks. Not every week. Because I don't want to die. And if you look at... If you look at... Chainsaw Man. If you look at... um, Kaiju number eight. Those are both by much younger artists. And what you're seeing in them... Is you're seeing in them a a realization that like... If I make something good enough... It will be franchisable, but I can make it on my own terms. I don't need to, I don't need to do it the way, you know, Bleach was done or Naruto was done or Dragon Ball was done. I can do it my own way, and I, as long as I forecast that to the viewing to the to my viewers to my readers, it'll be fine. And kudos to um, Jump for allowing for allowing those two authors to be like, oh, I I made I've sold a lot of I've sold a lot of manga magazines for you guys. I'm gonna go take a nap. <laughs> or I made something exceptional. I'm only gonna do it like on this schedule, not on the schedule you usually make people do stuff because that makes people get severe health defects. And I would like to make this for long for. A Yu Yu Hakusho amount of time, maybe, without experiencing a Yu Yu Hakusho amount of health problems. And you see this in, um, what's his face? The creator of Yu Yu Hakusho's, um, he decided to, like, start stabbing at the story that is Hunter Hunter again. And hilariously, in all over the internet, including me, Create, anime, like the anime reviewing creator class is like, hey, don't you dare fucking pressure him. He's our precious little angel and we will not pressure him. Do you understand? Do do you understand? If you ask for a chapter before he is ready to give you that chapter, 
consider yourself hunted because we are hunting you in the forest. And like, that's because, um, I forget that manga author's name. Um, but that's because he experienced such mental and physical health issues by the time he was done making the what is essentially the first parts of Hunter Hunter and while he was making Yu Yu Hakusho that he he couldn't do it anymore like he was physically incapable of like sitting down and doing it his hands his hands still cramp up when he tries to draw for god's sake and that that's not worth it. That's not, and not only is that not worth it, but that's not how you get a good franchisable property. That's how you get filler. That's how you get the fran the machine that makes and reinforces franchises just running the tape until it runs out. I mean, if you look at the last example I'll give, and then I'll and then I'll cut it off, is if you look at. Um, Full Metal Alchemist. That thing got so popular so quickly originally that they finished it without the manga as its underpinnings. They essentially pulled a Game of Thrones on the first series for Full Metal Alchemist. The reason why you never hear about that is because then Brotherhood happened, I think like a couple years later, because all the source material was there. And everybody just kind of looked at each other like, we did this wrong once. But this is popular enough where we can take another bite at the apple and nobody will care. Everybody will be fine with it. And so they did. If you look at the... If you look at the first part of Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, they are basically the same. There are some little moments sprinkled into Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood that, like, tease other things... But, for, by and large, they're the same. But once you get into the point where they were just making it up as they went along because the manga hadn't caught up, you feel how different it is. You feel that this is a whole story. This is a thing that it was designed not necessarily to be franchisable. And one of the sad things that you see in especially Marvel stuff but more and more anime stuff is you see the machines start to start to activate and start and the gears start to turn and people look at things and try and imagine like oh this is really popular we can turn this into a franchise it can print money like Dragon Ball Z printed money you saw it with Demon Slayer. You're probably going to see it with um, Chainsaw Man, although that will probably be significantly harder. Uh, you see it with a lot of different anime now. You see it with tons of different film uh, film franchise films because they call them film franchises ultimately. But when you get a contained thing, you see what the creators will allow themselves to do where they don't have to worry about what comes next. When they when they know when they know for a fact that they are going to make I think um 
uh, Cyberpunk was 10 episodes. When they know that they're making 10 episodes and they're out. Look what Trigger did. When Trigger knew that it was going to make only so much of Kill a Kill and then they were out. Look at what they did. When... And yes, you can make little extra things. Like, um... Full Metal Alchemist has a bunch of extra pieces. But by and large, the, like, the, like live-action stuff is not new stuff. It is the same stuff, but live-action. And... The downside to making something self-contained is when you get something like Cyberpunk, um, Edge Runners. Everybody's immediate thought was, what, like, what, what, when's season two? Is season two coming? Because people are trained to ask that. They're trained to ask, when is season two? And so much of Big Shonen Fair, even like, um, Chainsaw Man or, like, Demon Slayer provides convenient moments where like this can be the end of this season or this can be the or this can be a movie or this that the other thing. You see it in Jujutsu Kaisen. Jujutsu Kaisen did this pretty magically in that they told kind of the first part of that of that manga. And then they told a smaller arc, they told the smaller original part of that manga as its own film. And now they're back to the manga. And so what they've done there is they've done a more adept version of what um, Demon Slayer did. In that they took a piece, like a short piece, and they're like, this, is, this isn't enough for a whole show, but this is enough for a beautiful film. And that's, what, that's how you can use a story that's got possibly a definitive end. And break it up so it looks and feels like a franchise, but the individual pieces of it don't suffer. Um, so on that note, if you like this, ep- if you like this episode, um, definitely subscribe to the podcast. New episodes come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Um, Sunday episodes are like this; they're more metatextual. They're more me just like thinking about the like concepts of the industry and fandom and I do I usually do con reports on this one on, on Sunday editions they're more metatextual like I said the third day editions are more like the last third day edition which I actually released at like right before I recorded this um which was on Vermilion Gold those are about a specific show a specific property I focus in on like what I thought about a show and what I think a show is telling the its audience um, so definitely go check out the Vermilion Gold one because I was very surprised by that show. And I think that comes out in the hour-long podcast that recorded about a, uh, a what is a titty demon anime, is the way I described it. Um, but until then, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition, and I will talk to you next Thursday. <laughs>